I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Get your coffee and your Bible and join me as I think with my mouth open. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my coffee. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. All right, today we're going to finish up my January series and what I believe concerning salvation. This episode is the one that has probably given me more problems throughout my life than any other aspects of salvation that we've discussed so far. I wrestled with this particular topic for years. But before I get into it, let me bring you up to speed. If you remember in part one, I said that salvation was a process. It begins with an event where you first bowed your knee to Christ, claiming him as Lord and Savior. That's called justification. Subsequently, you immediately enter into that part of the process we call sanctification, where you are being molded into the image of a son by God. During our entire life on this mud ball that we call earth, God is molding and shaping you. And then at some point in the future, God calls you home. And that's where glorification takes place. And that's the end of the process. So salvation, you could say, um, you were saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. You're not done being saved yet. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Then in part two of this series, I went on to share how I believe that the salvation we have is permanent. My Presbyterian friends call it the perseverance of the saints. You can't lose a gift that God gives. Today's episode, I'm calling the problem. Uh, We can see from part one that there's an initial event called justification, but how exactly do we enter into that process? This whole being justified thing, how does that happen? Herein lies the dilemma. Paul says in Romans 3, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike under the power of sin. Okay, awesome. Doesn't sound like a problem so far. But it does beg the question, how are Jews and Gentiles alike? Well, Paul goes on to say we're alike in the sense that we're all under sin. And then he goes on further in the chapter to tell us what that looks like. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. 
Paul's a Pharisee, if you remember, which means he is an expert in, to- in the Torah, the Old Testament. And Paul is drawing from Psalms 14, Psalms 53, and Ecclesiastes to make the points he just made. I want you to pay attention. There are what I call universal words in play here. You probably know what I'm talking about. He says there is no one righteous. How many people is that? Everybody. There's no one who understands. Who understands? (laughs) No one. That includes the entire global population of Earth. There is no one who seeks God. Again, pretty all-inclusive. All have turned away. Who's turned away? All. Everybody. There is no one who does good. No one. (laughs) Again, no one. Paul continues verses 10 through 12 in chapter 3 to give a little bit more detailed description about what he just talked about. And he says, when he says that there's no one righteous, there's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God, they've together become worthless, they've turned away, no one does good. Well, now he says, this is what that looks like. Starting with verse 13. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. That's out of Psalms 5 folks, that's lying. The poison of vipers is on their lips. That's out of Psalms 140. That's hurtful speech. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Mm. That's Psalms 10. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and they're swift to shed blood. Folks, that's violence. And the way of peace they don't know. All of that's out of Psalms uh, Psalms 59. And lastly, he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's arrogance. And that's from Psalms 36. That's a pretty detailed description. Does that not read like what we see in the newspapers and on the news broadcasts concerning today's world? Lying, hurtful speech, violence, cursing, no fear of God. This represents Paul's summation of the nature of man. Now, you could say, perhaps that's an accurate global picture of mankind, generally speaking, but surely that doesn't apply to me. I would posit that this indeed applies to you and to me. Jesus stated in Matthew 5, for instance, he said, You've heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder. I tell you, that anyone who's angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is telling us how deep the law goes. While it's true that I've not actually murdered somebody, I have been angry with people. I've hurt people with my anger-filled words. I've cursed my fellow men and God. I've committed acts of violence. I have met all the criteria we read about in chapter 3 of Romans. And I would say that if at any time in your life you have displayed any of these attributes found in Romans chapter 3, you're included in this indictment by Paul. You are part of that, quote-unquote, no one crowd that Paul is talking about when he says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's a scathing indictment of mankind, of us, of you and I. Is there anything in those verses that leads you to believe that man would in and of himself pursue God? No. It's really bleak. 
There's no one who seeks God. Paul isn't saying that no one can pursue God. He's saying no one will pursue God. Man is fully capable of choosing. He simply will not choose God. In Romans chapter 4, Paul gives some hope. He talks about Abraham. Abraham was justified because he believed God in Genesis 15. In Romans 5, Paul continues on this subject. He says that like Abraham, if we believe, we can share in that same justification extended to Abraham. In other words, Abraham believed and was justified. We can believe and we can be justified. The possibility is there. Without this justification, Paul says we are candidates for death. Because in Romans 6, he says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we do have an out. That's good news. We can escape this death that that sin brings with it. All we have to do is choose Jesus. Paul says in Romans 10, If we declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So there's hope. There is indeed hope. We can choose Jesus. Wait a minute. How do we reconcile that with what we just read in chapter 3 about there's no one righteous, there's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God, there's no one who does good? How do we put those two together? And how do we reconcile Paul's words with this whoever passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hmm. So there is a group of people that can can escape this spiritual death that we've been talking about, that Paul's been talking about. And Jesus even said, who belongs in this group, this whoever group, it's whoever. The invitation is open to anybody. Anybody can be in this group. Whoever believes can be saved. So who belongs in this whoever group? Everyone who believes in him. But Paul said, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. So on the one hand, if we believe in Jesus, we can gain entrance to heaven and be saved. But on the other hand, Paul says, unfortunately, no one's doing that. In essence, Paul says, there's no one in the whoever group. Because no one in and of themselves will choose God. Man is at enmity with God. That is his nature. I used to have a cat years ago. And if I would put a bowl of lettuce and a bowl of tuna in front of that cat, which one of those bowls would that cat eat out of? Of course he'd eat tuna. He wouldn't even look at the lettuce. Why? Uh, Because he's a cat. That's his nature. Cats don't eat salad. They eat tuna. So why won't anybody choose God and get into that whoever group, because that is man's nature. That's what Paul is getting at. We are without hope, truly without hope. Whoever will can be saved. Paul is saying man's nature is to say no to God a hundred times out of a hundred. If I were to summarize all this in one statement, I'd say anyone can, but no one will. The door is open. Anyone can walk through it. It's not a matter of mankind not being able to choose. They can choose. The problem is that man is always going to choose to be without God. So if no one's going to choose God, then how do we account for the fact that there really are believers on this planet? I'm one. 
most of you listening to me are believers. How does that happen? How do we account for that? Well, it's a simple answer. If no one will choose God, then God must be the one who chooses. To put it more personally, if my nature is such that in and of myself, I will never choose God, then in order for me to become a child of his, he has to choose me. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. There's no part of the salvation process that I can lay claim to as being mine. It's all God from beginning to end. Grace is the perfect picture here. God's choosing and his grace are inextricably linked. It's all God from beginning to end. Now, this opens up a whole bucket of worms. I understand that. It's the predestined thing. It's a discussion on Calvinism versus Arminianism thing. Uh, I'm sorry. This won't be the place for that. That might be another series of podcasts we could deal with. But my purpose in this series is to share what I believe. And this is that. I try very hard to not go beyond what God's word says. And when I put Paul's words in the pot with Jesus's words, this is what I come up with. There's no one who does good. There's no one who seeks God. We all like sheep have gone astray. There's nothing in and of ourselves that qualifies us for heaven. We're lawbreakers. We cannot achieve the holiness required by God to sit in his presence. Mankind's nature is such that a hundred times out of a hundred, he will choose to walk away from God. When I was in boot camp, I had an incredible salvation experience. I went to church. Now, I didn't go to church to look for God. I wasn't of a religious mind at all. But my company commander was one of the few men on this planet that I've ever been genuinely afraid of. And I went to church on Sundays because that's the last place he would ever be at church. I could not have cared less about God. I didn't listen to the sermons. I just wanted a place away from this man that I feared so much. And on this one Sunday, they had a black Pentecostal church come in and do a Protestant church service. Now, as a musician, I had never heard music like this before. I never heard the call and response part of that church culture where the preacher will say something and then the musicians answer him. He might go something like, and the Lord said, and then you hear this Hammond B3 organ roar. Wow. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the drums and the bass player respond. It just went back and forth like that. And sometimes the choir would answer by singing amen or singing hallelujah. It was one of the most amazing musical experiences I've ever had. Now, I elbowed my way to the front because I had to watch this. They had purple robes. These big, beautiful black women with the white hankies dancing around the stage and drums thumping, bass thumping, Hammond B3 organ wailing, the guitar just screaming away. I was stunned at the music. As I remember, I closed my eyes and I just let the music wash over me. Now, all of a sudden, I realized I was crying and I couldn't tell you why I was crying. In fact, I remember saying to myself, why are you crying? You've never felt this good in your life. I felt amazing, but I was crying. Then all of a sudden, with my eyes closed, I have this incredible sensation that Jesus is standing right next to me. I can't explain it any other way than that. If you're a believer, you understand. If you're not a believer, well, you can just chalk this up to some kind of hallucination, I suppose. But regardless, I knew Jesus was standing right next to me. 
inexplicably, I was overwhelmed with terror. These words went through my head like an old-fashioned stock market ticker tape. Depart from me, you wicked, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I didn't know that was a Bible verse. I didn't know that was Bible talk. That's what I saw go through my head. Depart from me, you wicked, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Somehow I understood that I was a sinful man in the presence of a sinless God, that I had been judged and determined to be guilty of being a lawbreaker, of being anti-God, and if the gates to hell had opened up behind me, I would have walked through them into damnation for eternity without an argument. Because I had no defense. I was guilty. Almost immediately after those words, another little ticker tape went across my mind. And these words were, But I've loved you with an everlasting love. And I was overwhelmed with an incredible sense of relief and release. And for the record, I cried some more. All of a sudden I realized that my God loves me. My God. He is my God. He loves me. And at that moment, I was his. I didn't go there looking for him. There was no ulterior motive in my part. I just wanted to get away from the man that scared me to death for the next three hours. And God showed up. God chose me. From that moment to this, God has been molding me into the image of his son. I'm looking forward to the time when I can go home after it's all said and done and I get to see him face to face. Oh, I know, I, I can already hear the question. But what if somebody wants to get in, but God hasn't chosen them, and therefore he sends them to hell? Well, I'm going to refer you to Paul's words above, where he says the nature of man is to not want God. If there's anything about God, heaven, or Jesus that's attractive to you, I submit the Holy Spirit has already begun his work in you. You're already in process. If there's anything in you that finds anything attractive and anything I said in these last three devotionals on salvation or anything I've ever said about the Bible, if there's anything that attracts you to God, know this, God has begun his work on you. Because if the Holy Spirit weren't involved, you would want nothing to do with any of this. He's chosen you. Here's what I would have you do. Get by yourself. Get in a quiet place. And just say this, God, I don't understand any of this <laughs> to hardly any degree. But if you want me, show me. Reveal yourself to me. And then I would ask that you go to the Gospel of John in the Bible and start reading it. John wrote his Gospel for people exactly like you and exactly like me. Then keep your eyes open. God has a way of showing up in the most unexpected of ways. Paige, what about Aunt so-and-so? What about my cousin? I know they're not saved. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't tell you anything about your aunt or your cousin. The only thing I can tell you about is me and what I believe. I believe salvation is a process. I believe salvation is permanent. I believe God chooses. Please feel free to email me at page at coffeebiblepage.com or find me on Facebook. I'll have a website 
Coffee Bible page website soon. You can contact me there when it becomes available. But I would love to hear from you. And I would love to discuss this with you further if you wish. So, I'm Paige, and I'm out of here. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.